0: Would you pray with me as we turn to God's word this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today we end our fall series on heresies old and ever new. Uh, It's been five weeks of learning what the gospel of Jesus is not by looking at these historical heresies in the church and the ways in which they are still operative for us today. Uh, We're very thankful for the ways in which the congregation has engaged with this series. It's been great. Uh, We've had good conversations with many of you outside of Sunday morning, which we really highly value. Um, We had actually planned initially to go for a couple more weeks in this series through the end of the month, but we've decided that we're going to finish it today uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, to be honest, it's been a bit of a challenge for us as preachers to do good biblical exposition when in this series we are inherently starting from a negative place, right? We need to talk about what these heresies are and why they are wrong before we really dive into these texts. And I think we both agree that we're craving an opportunity to start with the biblical text and deal with it more closely all the way through to start and end with, with God's word. Uh, the second reason is as we projected out over the next couple weeks, we realized that we've got uh, this Thanksgiving week coming up and it felt odd for us to be tackling some of these heavier topics during a week of Thanksgiving. Uh, I know that there's so much gratitude in, in my heart as, as I head into this Thanksgiving week next week. And so we've decided that instead we're going to do a little mini-series over Thanksgiving week that will include next Sunday, Thanksgiving Eve, and then the following Sunday, the 26th, where we are rightly going to focus on Thanksgiving by looking at the Apostle Paul's thanksgivings at the beginnings of three of his letters. Um, We're excited about this. We think it's going to create a really great atmosphere in this this week of Thanksgiving, and uh, we hope that you'll join us. But today... We do get to finish this series on heresies with a modern heresy, the most modern of the ones that we've studied, one that's come into prominence relatively uh, recently, and that is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. Uh, The prosperity gospel came into popularity in the second half of the 20th century. Um, And essentially what it is, is it's the belief that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for his people, and that faith and positive speech and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Now that's a that's a pretty static definition, uh, but I'm sure you've actually seen this in action if you think about it. You've been flipping through the TV channels and you come across some TV pastor asking for money to some ministry that happens to have his name on that ministry and it promises great blessings if you'll give to it. Or you've sat in a church somewhere that seems to be really money obsessed. Hopefully you don't feel that way here. Uh, Maybe you've been in a place where somebody is telling you that if if your faith would only increase, if you would only have more faith that you would experience finally a huge breakthrough in your health or in your finances. Maybe you've been in in certain communities where there's a massive focus on blessing as a sign of faith that things are going well. Essentially, the prosperity gospel has, has a very set view on what it means for somebody to be blessed. A beautiful house, a nice car, financial security, lots of leisure time, a healthy and whole body, And strangely, somehow, very white, toothy smiles. I don't know why that's always there. But these become indicators of God's blessing. As with all the other heresies that we've studied over the last five weeks, I think that most of us, even when we see this definition and and we realize uh, what it is, we go, yeah, there's inherent danger here. There's inherent danger in this kind of thinking. But like all the other heresies, too, we have a tendency to slip and fall into this so easily. We can play these games where we say that if I pray more, if I do better, if I give more, if I have more faith, then God will give me what I desire. We can look at those who are healthy and wealthy in this life and and equate that with God's blessing. We can all have a skewed view of what it means to be blessed. Now, thank goodness, Jesus actually talked about blessing quite a bit and what it means for us to be blessed. And if we will listen to him this morning, he has an opportunity to correct our skewed views on what it means to be blessed. So let's hear what he has to say about blessing. If you'd stand with me for our reading. This is from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. These words of Jesus record eight blessings, and they are called the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. Uh, That comes after the Latin word Beatus, which means saintly or blessed. In these eight Beatitudes, Jesus paints a very different picture of blessing than the prosperity gospel does. The text is radical, and it is deeply challenging. So let me set the stage for you. The Beatitudes are at the beginning of what many people call the Sermon on the Mount, that those words are not actually in Scripture, but this, this collection has been known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's not actually a sermon, probably. It's a collection of Jesus' most popular and well-known teachings. It's his greatest hits. And it spans over three chapters in Matthew. It's also in Luke. Instead of calling this the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor John Mark Comer Says this is, quote, Jesus' manifesto for a whole new way to be human in the inbreaking reality of the kingdom of God. That's too long to be catchy, um, but I think Comer's done some amazing work on this manifesto. I'm going to lean on him heavily later in the sermon. But this manifesto mostly follows the Ten Commandments over three chapters. It touches on topics like adultery and money and murder and hypocrisy and anxiety and prayer and judging other people. A lot of really heavy practical stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. But I think it's worth noting. It's worth noting that before telling us what we need to do or what our behavior needs to be or how we're supposed to live, Jesus begins with blessing. Begins with blessing. And I think Matthew is saying something profound here in the way that he is ordering this greatest hits album of Jesus. He's saying, blessing is not conditional upon what we do or the amount of faith that we have or the size of the gift that we bring. It is there at the beginning and Jesus gives it freely. So Jesus sees these crowds. He goes up, probably not on a mountain, but to a hillside. And he gathers his disciples and he begins to teach. And he begins with these blessings. It's a provocative way to begin. The Greek word for blessed in this passage is Makarios. It's a word that's frequently used in, in Hebrew, and, Hebrew and pagan literature at the time. And it's a word that's really tricky for us to translate because we don't have an, a, a one-to-one equivalent for it in English, in our language. Most translations use the word blessed, like the NRSV, which I read. And that's okay, but it's good for you to know that markarios is not the word that is used in Scripture to talk about God giving us blessings or blessings that come from God. That's an entirely different word. Some translations have instead happy. But there are problems with happy, aren't there? Especially in the English language. Some use fortunate. Fortunate are you. But then it sort of sounds like we're talking about luck, which isn't really helpful for us. So you see, Markarius is not so much a a word as it is a salutation in the first century. It was a way that you would have greeted somebody. So when something good happened in your life, the the birth of a child or or, or a new job, or or you did a great job on your test, or you were healed from some sort of illness, you would greet somebody and you would say, Markarius, Markarius. Congratulations, fortunate are you, blessed are you, things are going well for you. It was a salutation for the first century. So Jesus uses this salutation, this word, Markarius, eight times to start his teaching. But what follows is not what most of us would expect. Congratulations, you're poor in spirit. Congratulations, you're mourning. Fortunate are the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, happy, are those who are merciful and pure in heart, the peacemakers and the persecuted, and those who are hated by other people. I've grown up in the church, I've read these things so many times that they can lose power for me if I'm not careful. But maybe you're reading or hearing this for the first time, and if you were, I wouldn't blame you if you thought that Jesus was out of his mind. Because this is a pretty crazy idea. And because it's so crazy, it's led people to misread this passage or misinterpret the Beatitudes So let's eliminate a few possibilities first before we say what the Beatitudes are. First of all, the Beatitudes are not a list of virtues. They're not a list of virtues. I don't know if you're like me, this is where my mind kind of goes first. Okay, well the poor in spirit, so what's the virtue here? Maybe they're the ones who recognize their need for God and and those who mourn, what's the virtue? Maybe they're the ones who are sensitive to the fallenness of the world and And maybe the meek are those who who show restraint and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are the ones who are really striving for God in their hearts. And those might be true, but none of those really work because those aren't virtues. The word Jesus uses for poor is the word for abject destitution or poverty. And he adds poor in spirit. What does that even mean, by the way? What does poor in spirit mean? Well, it's what Dallas Willard called a spiritual zero. Someone who has nothing to offer spiritually. Those who mourn aren't mourning their sin or the sin of the world. They're actually just heartbroken people. That's the word here. People who are experiencing loss, who are depressed, who are at their end, who have nothing left. The meek are those who are oppressed, who have no power, no agency no way of getting out of the tailspin that they are in. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are are probably not those who are striving for God. They're the ones who really want a relationship with God and, 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 and themselves and others, but they're too messed up to get their stuff together. I think we all know someone like that in our lives. Are any of these things good things? Is it good to be poor or grieving or messed up or oppressed? No. These are hard things. Those are not things that we ought to be striving for. These are not virtues that we ought to be striving for. Now, there are some kind of semi-virtues on this list. The last four blessings are more virtue-based. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. But even these are not truly virtues that we should be striving for. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a group of Jewish people who are under Roman occupation. They are likely taxed upwards of 85%. They are living in poverty that's imposed by a foreign ruler. So being a peacemaker might sound all virtuous to us here today, but it would not have been virtuous to that crowd that was listening to it. In fact, to be a peacemaker would be to betray your community or even to betray your God. To be a peacemaker is to be a traitor. There's a lot more to say here, but it's clear that as we look at this list of Beatitudes, it doesn't work to look at this list and say this is a list of virtues. Second thing the Beatitudes are not is it's not a list of commands. So often we want to go to the Bible like it's a manual. Bible, just just tell us what to do so we can say, okay, I'll become poor or I'll become meek or I'll, I'll make a way for myself to become persecuted and then I'll receive God's blessing because Matthew 5 told me to do it. But we know that God does not want these things for us. Remember, Macarius is a salutation. It's not a command. Third, the Beatitudes are not a list of wise truisms. It's not like reading the book of Proverbs. Do the meek typically inherit the earth? No, they don't. The meek very seldom run the world. Do the merciful always receive mercy? No. Read about our brothers and sisters in in, in Somalia or Iran or Turkmenistan or India. These merciful ambassadors for Jesus do not find mercy. Oftentimes they find imprisonment and beating and death. So the Beatitudes are not a list of, of truisms either. So then, what are the Beatitudes? If they're not virtues, commands, or truisms, what are they? I think it's Jesus showing us the way of blessing in the kingdom of God. Not in the kingdom of this world, but in the kingdom of God. I like to define the kingdom of God as any place or people who recognize Jesus as their king and live like it, placing everything under Jesus' lordship and authority in their lives. And the message of the Beatitudes is that the kingdom of God in that kingdom of God, blessing doesn't come from being rich or righteous or put together or or powerful or on the dean's list at your school. Instead, God says, you're poor, you're oppressed, you're persecuted, you're messed up, you're a spiritual zero, you're screwed up. Well, you are no further from God's blessing because of it. In fact, Markarius, congratulations. Celebrate, because God's blessing is available to you. You are right in the place where God's blessing happens. The kingdom of God is open to you. And this is why the Beatitudes are so meticulously placed in the Sermon on the Mount, in this manifesto, because it begins with blessing. Car has, a welcome and then only after that blessing comes teachings on how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to function how we're supposed to behave in the kingdom of God now that feels decidedly backwards in our society doesn't it but guess what it was backwards when Jesus said it too it was just as radical probably even more radical when Jesus said it than when we read it now Compare Matthew 5, This I love this, I love this, hang with me here. I want to compare, do a comparison of the Beatitudes to another writing. Um, I want to compare Matthew 5 with the writing of a man named Sirach. He was a, he was a Jewish man, he was writing uh, a, a little over a century before Jesus. It's a writing you can find in the Apocrypha, which is part of the Catholic Bible, not something that we believe as authoritative, but something that we find interesting, something worth reading in our tradition. Sirach, chapter 25 Um, says using the equivalent of that word, markarios, talks about what it means to be blessed. This is a man 100 years before Jesus talking about what it means to be blessed. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims, a man who can rejoice in his children. Stop there for a second. That's first. Right away. I can't help but think of the uh, hashtag blessed caption on social media with perfect smiling pictures of your kids where they're sitting still and their hair is all good. I'm blessed if my kids are put together and they're smiling and they're well-dressed and they look happy, right? A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes, blessed to be a winner, to come out on top in business or in sports or grades or anything competitive. Third, happy is the man who has who lives with a sensible wife. I don't even want to touch this one, but (laughs) suffice it to say, blessed if my spouse is everything they could dream, uh, that I could dream that they would be, right? And the one who does not plow with an ox and donkey together, the idea here being that you have good business acumen, that you work smart, but you really don't have to work all that hard. Happy is the one who doesn't sin with the tongue, This is actually not a moral sin. What they're saying is, you're well spoken. You've got good things to say. Your captions are always so witty. The one who has not served an inferior, so you run the show. In fact, you're blessed when other people have to serve you. Happy is the one who finds a friend. Look how many followers I have, how many people consider me a friend. I'm never lonely. The one who speaks to attentive listeners. You've always got people lined up to hear what you have to say. People love to follow you. Ninth, how great is the one who finds wisdom, which means that people come to you for advice, that you've got so many good thoughts that you have, you have, you have plenty to spare upon all the people in your life. And then tenth, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. I don't know about you, that feels like a throwaway, doesn't it? <laughs> Almost like it's kind of a throwaway line. I'm sure it's well-intentioned, but it's like, all these things are really blessed, but of course you want to fear the Lord as well. Now, I look at the wisdom of Sirach and his list, and it looks pretty good today in 2023 in the Western world. It's sort of like a vision statement for the prosperity gospel, isn't it? People today are striving and paying for And leveraging their social capital to project themselves exactly as Sirach has put here. And to make sure that we're fulfilling that last clause of the fear of the Lord, we even come to church on Sunday. But we stack this up against Jesus' Beatitudes, and it looks nothing like Sirach's list. Nothing. I told you I was going to come back to John Mark Comer. He did an extremely loose translation of the Beatitudes. I think it's worth reading in its entirety. I want you to notice how unlike Sirach, his list is. He says, blessed are the down and out, the unemployed and the underemployed, those getting gentrified, those on the wrong side of globalization, those without a college degree or health insurance, and those who are spiritually simple, who really have very little to offer because they are in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the sad, the depressed, those grieving the death of a loved one, the failure of a marriage, another miscarriage, the pain of one's genogram, because one day God Himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed are the quiet, the shy, the socially awkward, the uncool, the badly dressed, the people with six followers on Twitter, because one day, They will be free from the tyranny of what others think of them, and they will take up their role as a king or queen over God's world. Blessed are the messed up, those who just can't get it together, the addicts, the mentally unstable, the overweight, those from an abusive home, for they will one day be so full of God's life that they won't know where to put it all. Blessed is the little guy, the people who get stomped on, passed over, That don't fight violence with violence because one day they will get all that mercy back with interest. Blessed are all the Christians in a post Christian culture that is hostile to all they believe. Even though they are made fun of, looked down on, called stupid, and seen as behind the times, they get to share in the cross shaped life of Jesus and the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' Beatitudes. They were subversive then, and they are even more, perhaps, subversive now. Especially here in America, where, what does our Constitution say? Our our, our inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, blessedness. Our Western narrative is based on this pursuit of blessedness. What Richard Rohrer calls the folly of the winner's script an upward mobility narrative that convinces us that life, as it goes on, will get more and more and more and more blessed. The best college, the right job, the best marriage, more promotions, a better house, well-adjusted kids, a perfect retirement, and on and on and on. But I think we know here today that life does not work out this way, does it? If it does, it doesn't stay that way for very long. Because at some point, the roof will cave in on our lives. Our careers will stall. Our bodies will fail. We will have to mourn for a loved one. We will find ourselves spiritually dry or completely lost. We will receive a diagnosis. We will be reviled by somebody. It will happen. And for some of you, I know that that is happening right now. The good news of the gospel this morning is that if or when, that is you, you are in the place where God's richest blessing seems to occur. Jesus takes our warped views of blessing and he graciously redefines it for us. Blessing does not come from the carefully curated social media or the perfect Christmas card, if you're working on that or the stuff we have, or the upward mobility, blessing is a salutation that Jesus himself gives to us when we name him as king. And your earthly blessings, as wonderful as they can be, and I'm not telling you to despise them, but just know that they do not get you any closer to God's Markarios. The tough reality for some of us is that the poor and the meek and the mourning and the messed up and the persecuted and the hated are more likely to reach out and put Jesus on the throne of their life because they don't have all those layers of pseudo-blessing that they have to sift through. Think of it this way. The poor came to Jesus, and they still walked away poor. But they were blessed by him. The oppressed came to him, And they were still oppressed, but they were blessed. The meek were still meek, and the mourners, not all of them found joy, and not all the messed up found healing, but all of them met blessing. They met Markarius. They heard that salutation because Jesus, when he is crowned as king, gives us a vision beyond the prosperity gospel to the Markarius gospel. A blessing for today and a hope for tomorrow. Jesus is the way of that blessing. Not the stuff that we have. So for those weak, messed up, downtrodden, mourning, passed over, despised and oppressed. Marcarias, blessings to you from Jesus Christ. He is the king and his kingdom is for you. For the comfortable and the prosperous by the world standard, the upwardly mobile, the healthy and wealthy. Blessings to you too, but no that those things are temporary and that Jesus offers a better kind of blessing if we will name him as our king and we will put him in charge of our lives. May it be so for us today as his people. Amen. Amen. For one last time in this sermon series, I'm going to invite you to stand as we respond with the words of the Apostles' Creed a sign of our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also our united faith that we share with brothers and sisters around the globe today. Not only today, but in, throughout the church's history, we join together with all the saints and affirm our common faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Please stay standing as you're able for our closing hymn. It's number 408, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah.